Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Africast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. How are you guys doing? I know I've now asked this a second time, but you know, internet issues have gotten in the way of recording this podcast already today. So how are you guys doing today? Um, since I last spoke to you, uh, I think I'm a bit hungrier, um, but aside from that, normal, no business as usual. And yourself, Robin? Uh, still counting the days until we close the office. So oh, yeah. changed. In yeah. December. Cannot wait for December. Well, well, I suppose everybody kind of closes mentally at the end of November. You send out an email to somebody in like, even now, late November, people are like, oh, you three hours work? later, you get a response. Yeah, Sorry, thought, we just been having our Christmas party. Yeah, I thought it's like, I thought we all agreed that the work year was over. Why are you sending me news? <laughs> what are you doing? Right, let's get into today's edition of the AfriCast. Clinton, you went to go and watch TV yesterday. Yes, um, I didn't just sit at home and watch uh, TV. I went to an event. I made that same joke when we talked about this the first time. I'll make it again. It, the joke's so good, you have to hear it twice. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, what really happened is that Sony had a launch in South Africa and Joburg, yeah, of their new Bravia XR TVs. And they used this term, cognitive intelligence, to sell these uh, uh, new devices. And is what my TV that going means, to know what I want to watch? No, um, so what, what does cognitive intelligence mean? Um, Sony says that this is a step above regular AI, even though lots of people say that real AI doesn't exist. But okay, what this is, is that the TV uses a new kind of processor called a cognitive processor XR, which is supposed to use many data sets to replicate human vision and human sound so that the picture you see on the screen and the sound that you hear is more closely related to how humans work and if it's more closely related to how humans work that should be a better experience now we went to go test that out and i don't think i had enough time with these tvs to report back to you and say cognitive intelligence is a game changer or it's just marketing spin right Mm. i think this is really something where you need to have a in your home for a long period of time and watch lots of content and play games on it and everything before you can really give a proper report on that. And I only had, I think in total an hour or an hour and a half hands on time. So the big selling point, uh, you know, I can't really report on that. And I think Sony knew that there's no way we could have come back afterwards and said, Oh, it's completely different to any TV. Um, but what I can tell you is what I did see was very good, but what I did see was mostly 4K TVs, which have very nice and very expensive OLED panels. So they had really high-grade TVs showing content that's made for 4K on good calibrated OLED panels. Of course, it was going to look right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to look good. And some people can argue with me with that. They can say, oh, some manufacturers make better OLED panels than others. Some people even using the same panels will have different pictures depending on other um, areas. So I can say it looked very good, but what actually impressed me more than the picture was the sound. So this whole cognitive processor stuff is not just for the screen, it's also for the audio. And the built-in speakers of these TVs really impressed me. They sounded clear, they sounded loud if you wanted them to be loud, and they didn't sound muffled or tinny as you expect some inbuilt um, 
TV speakers to sound. And it was really interesting because in one of the little experience booths that they had, they set up a lot of expensive Sony audio equipment, like a soundbar and a subwoofer and stuff like that. And then they let us do kind of A-B testing where they said, okay, this is what it sounds like with the soundbar. This is what it sounds like with the subwoofer. This is what it sounds like with just the TV um, audio. And the TV audio was fantastic. I really think for a lot of people who are going to buy these, um, the inbuilt speakers might just be good enough and you don't need to spend any more money on anything else. And um, one of the guys who was giving us a tour of these things said that they use the entire frame of the TV to make these speakers sound so good. Um, I don't know the exact science of how they did it uh, until I get this very expensive TV and I tear it down, which won't happen because then I'll be liable for lots of money. But it could mean that they just um, the sound reverberates through the whole panel. It could mean that the whole panel is used as a diaphragm. I'm not sure what he meant by that. It was a very quick tour. Um, but all I can tell you is that it sounds really good. Something that also impressed me was the uh, camera, uh, not the camera, the uh, microphone array. Because this has uh, Google TV built in, you can also say, hey, Google, and you can give it, a, uh, I was going to say you can give it advice, you can give it commands. And we were in a showroom uh, attached to a hotel. And in that showroom, there were lots of TVs all playing different sounds. They were all very loud. There's lots of people talking. But you could say, hey, Google, at a very um, not loud tone, you know, conversational tone, and the TV picked it up right away. So I was really impressed. Some of these devices, um, they they don't really have a, a good enough array where you can be on the other side of the house or even the other side of the living room and you can speak to your TV or your smart devices. But this one does have uh, a good array for that. And they also build it as kind of a hub for smart devices in your home. So if you have lighting set up, if you have the aircon or you have a little vacuum robot, if you're sitting in your living room at a decent distance from your TV, you can still just say, hey, Google, turn off the lights and they'll do it. So it was very impressive, but I feel I can't report that much on the cognitive intelligence of this TV. I need to get to know it. So maybe in the future we'll get a review unit, but that's what I can report on now. But I do have some extra information. I have pricing. So this was the launch of the Bravia XR range. Um, that XR, the Bravia XR sub-brand means that's the cognitive intelligence TVs. Um, they didn't just launch those yesterday. They launched a whole uh, range of uh, 10 models in total. And if you click the link at the bottom or the top of this podcast, we put links to everything we talk about. I have a full price list of these new TVs. And the cheapest Bravia XR TV is 33,000 Rand for a 65-inch TV. But yeah, here's the kicker. The OLED panel upgrade for that is a lot of money. So 32,999 Rand for the, um, the Bravia XR. The OLED version, 57,999 Rand. As a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I think OLED tech OLED tech has been around for a while, but I don't think it's matured enough where the prices are more reasonable for the average person. Um, but if you go into a showroom uh, like we did, I know, you know, going out of the house isn't a bit option right now, but you can really, if, if you can look at a TV that has OLED and a TV that doesn't, the, appear, the, the picture quality is just so apparent right from the get-go. 
Um, even on TVs of the same screen, we had two TVs right next to each other that were the same size. And the only difference was the tech that was driving the picture. And it's one of those things where you see the price on your computer screen and you can't really justify it. It's something you have to experience. You know, it's like the Matrix. No one can tell you what it is. So um, there are many stores in South Africa, the Sony stores that you can go check these out and a lot of other retailers which you can go look at them. And the most expensive one that right at the top of the range, the 75 inch OLED panel one is 80,000 Rand, 79999. It's a lot of money. Um, I've seen more expensive TVs. I've seen cheaper TVs at the same size with the same tech. So um, again, we don't have a full review. This was just first impressions and I was quite impressed. And the last thing I want to talk about is that I actually got to sit down with an, uh, for an interview. Now, I don't want to say this man's name because it is a Japanese name and I will butcher it. I will say he's the managing director of Sony Middle East in Africa. That's MEA. Um, <laughs> I'll put his name in the story so you can read it in, and in your own mind, you can mispronounce it. And we talked about um, not just these new TVs, but also about uh, what goes into uh, managing the MEA region because that's a big territory. The Middle East and Africa is, you know, <laughs> that's huge. And there's so many distinct markets. And I won't go through the questions one by one. I just want to give you guys some cool uh, little parts of it. Uh, but you can read the whole uh, interview. And I asked him, you know, this region is huge. How do you go about conducting business when you look at specific countries? And he said that we have employees in those countries and they can lend their expertise and their cultural knowledge about those areas to properly sell things. And that led me to another question I had further down the road is that Sony is a premium brand, um, at least in the TV space. Now, I did speak to another Sony rep there and he said, Sony TVs are focused on premium. But if you look at other arms of the country, uh, of the company like uh, audio, uh, audio headsets, you can get, um, you know, uh, entry level and mid level and then premium stuff. So even though Sony in other areas does offer those other tiers of products, those other prices, when it comes to TV, Sony is a very premium brand. And I asked him, how does that compare in South Africa where we're a market that always wants a good deal mm. and we're a market that usually goes for the mid-range and the more budget options? So he said that, um, you know, as we get more mature in the market, we may look at those um, entry-level and those mid-level products. But Right now, the cons uh, the consumers we want to serve are the concerning consumers who look for a premium experience, and we offer a premium products. So, um, I, some people may say that that's hand wave or something, but I, I think it's very good if you're trying to sell something, you know who you're trying to sell it to, yeah. and you don't just kind of take a scattershot approach to how you do all of this. And the uh, last thing I want to talk about quickly is resolution. So the TVs we saw were 4K, um, but we talked a little bit in the presentation about 8K. And I wanted to ask him, how does this work? Because 1080p is still the king of resolution. A, a huge amount of content that has existed in the past, exists now, and is going to be made in the future, is still 1080p and made for 1080p screens. But then also you have devices like the Nintendo Switch, which is one of if not the most popular consoles right now, and that's 720p only. So I asked him, what's, what's going on with resolutions? You know, you guys, you're Sony, you're making these TVs, you decide if we're going to go with 4K, we're going to go with 8K. 
what is the thought process? And you said to me that the resolution scales with um, the size of the screens, and it also scales with um, the demand. So by that, he said that if you take a TV that's 65 inches and it's only 1080p, it's going to look horrible. Mm. Um, so you want to go to 4K. But now if you have an absolutely massive screen that's 85 inches or bigger, 4K then might not be enough and you want to go to 8K. So you have to consider that when you're making a product. And he said that um, something they're working with, because Sony, again, has so many arms of the company and they're doing so many things. Um, they're looking at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar uh, 2022, they're going to be broadcasting that in 4K. And it's just something that, you know, people know about quality and resolution and all of that is your experience is only as good as the weakest part in the chain. Mm. Um, everything has to be 4K, 4K, 4K of the highest quality. And then if somebody exports it in 1080p or they've messed it up, then the end result is going to be awful, even if you're sitting at home with a new expensive 4K TV. So, it's the size of the screens you have to think about, and it's also the demand and that chain of getting the content to the consumer. So it was a very interesting interview. I'm, I'm very glad he agreed to sit down with me. I think it was the first in-person interview I've done in like two and a half years. So it was, wow. a, it was good to do that again. And you can check out my story about the pricing. You can check out my interview. It's a written interview. So um, you can give that a quick read. And yeah, do you guys have any questions about these TVs before we uh, move on to the next subject? Well, less, less a question, more of a statement. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting how they, well, not interesting, but I think it's, it's smart how they have a certain segment of the market and they are catering to that segment of the market. Um, like I, like you mentioned, I think lots of people will put their hands up and say, oh, but what about people that want cheaper TVs and stuff? I think that we need to take into consideration things like after-sales support and <clears throat> uh, import fees, all this sort of stuff. Like if you're bringing in like a few thousand smaller TVs in a market where you're competing with the likes of Hisense, um, LG, Samsung, I think you, you're, you're going to be fighting a losing battle in that regard because I think even the lower end Bravia TVs are, are a little bit higher in terms of price compared to the likes of Samsung and LG yeah. um, just because Bravia's display tech is, is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's really smart of them to take that approach. Uh, I know Bravia used to be really big in South Africa many years ago. Um, I'm talking here like 10 years ago before the, the World Cup, but uh, I think it seems like they've fallen out of favor a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's smart how they're doing that business. As much as as much as much I would love a cheaper um, Bravia TV, uh, if I was faced with, oh, I can have a Bravia TV for, say, six grand or the same size and resolution display for like four grand from another manufacturer, uh, I'm going to save my money and go to the other manufacturers. So, so I think it's it's clever the, the way they're doing the, the product releases here in South Africa. Before I went to the event, um, I kind of got the consensus from the uh, the office about what mm -hmm. questions do you want me to ask the Sony reps while I'm there. And Robin actually asked me to ask them about after-sales support, which yeah. you just mentioned. And they said that they have uh, 21 service centers across all the nine provinces. And then wow. in my interview, um, they also mentioned stuff about that. So again, it's one of those things where you may pay more upfront, but then when you have a problem, they take better yeah. care of you. And this is something we're seeing with, I don't want to just signal out Chinese brands and Chinese products, but when you have newcomers to the market, um, if you buy a product 
you you expect almost I don't want to say no after sales support because if you like have a warranty return, they'll usually do that for you. Yeah. But like uh, again, I've talked about this in the past. I have an Oppo Reno Five, which is a new to the market Chinese brand, and finding just a case for it or a screen protector is almost impossible. And I had a like special order one from Raru that's taking a whole month to show up. And if I had a, a better brand phone, I don't want to say a better brand. If I had a more established brand phone. I could just go up the road to the local, you know, family owned, no name phone shop and get a phone case for like 50 yeah. bucks. So it, the same thing applies with TV. Some problem with my Sony Bravia TV that is a bit obscure. I can just go and Google and there'll probably be a result or um, Sony themselves write up a guide on how to help me. But if I have this TV that less people have or it's a no name brand, I'm just on my own. Mm. Um, so, Robin, do you want to add anything before we uh, before we move on from this stuff? Yeah, I think when it comes to TVs, it's perhaps a segment of consumer electronics that sits alone when it comes to things like pricing and, mm. and elements like that because this is a, a fixture that will probably be in your home for a number of years. Yeah. It's not necessarily something you're going to be upgrading off the tiers like a smartphone or a tablet or even a notebook for that example. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do kind of feel this is one area where you probably do want to pay a little bit extra if you can, if your budget, budget allows it, uh, because this is something that's going to be sitting in your living room or wherever for the next five, six years, maybe even longer, depending yeah. on how well made it is. Yeah, I mean, I bought a TV when I was... I mean, more than a decade ago, as soon as there was a decently priced 1080p screen with the 60 um, hertz refresh rate, I bought one of those and I still have it more than 10 years later. So, yeah, I agree with you. You you need to look at it a bit differently. I think it's like a car or a phone. It's something you have to think about how many hours every day and am I, am I going to be using this and how much money am I willing to spend to have a better experience over many years. Yeah. Yeah, fully agreed. Cool. Uh let let's move on. Robin, uh you were at Gold Reef City yesterday digging for gold, correct? No, I was actually there to meet my robot overlords. <laughs> you wanna tell so, us more about what you were doing in Gold Reef City yesterday? Yeah, so I was actually there for a local mining focus event, hence the Gold Reef City venue. Uh, just a note that Gold Reef City is closed at the moment, so it was a little bit eerie. Not eerie, but weird walking around the theme park yeah. and everything was closed. It was a bit of a ghost town. Uh, but I was actually there for the launch of Boston Dynamics' uh, Spot Enterprise Robot. So Dwyker Mining Services are the company that are bringing it into South Africa specifically for the mining sector. Uh, they also brought two uh, spot robots with them. Uh, there was one which was the Explorer version, which is, I guess, um, a more general purpose use uh, version of the spot robot. And then there's the Enterprise version, which is kind of specifically designed for segments like mining, uh, construction, I guess, hard uh, environments, for lack of a better term. Um, so Dwyker Mining Services, they're bringing them into the country, and it was essentially the local launch of the Spot Enterprise robot. Uh, we got to see the robots in action. Um, it was a little eerie, though. Um, their movements, uh, especially when they're panning or, or shifting focus, their movements are really sharp and precise in a way that can be a little bit... Uh, Black Mirror-esque. 
Yeah, for lack of a better term. And I, I understand that um, robots in general can prove quite divisive, especially when you're looking at a segment like mining where the digital transformation in that sector uh, potentially threatens jobs and a lot of vested interests. So it was really interesting to kind of see what the reaction was was to these robots. Uh, when we had the presentation, they kind of walked around the room, walked up and down stairs and kind of did a little song and dance for us as well, um, which oh was interesting. Goodness. And um, the general consensus seems to be quite positive. Uh, we also went down into the mines with them where we could kind of showcase some of the capabilities. Um, the enterprise model, which is very much going to be what Boston Dynamics kind of pushes forward with uh, in, in future. They're already working with a number of companies across the world, and now Dwyer Mining Services are essentially the first one in South Africa to be introducing them. Um, so as far as enterprise uh, spot robot goes, it uh, is able to c- handle a payload of uh, 14 kilograms. So you can, for example, uh, knock on wood, if something bad happens in a mine, it can s- serve as a search and rescue uh, device. Uh, so whether that be ferrying food and water to trap miners or something like that. Uh, it also has the ability to be retrofitted with a number of different sensors, uh, whether that's 360-degree cameras, um, thermal sensors, uh, pressure, air pressure sensors, which will help to spot gas leaks or oxygen leaks in uh, environments that would otherwise potentially be too dangerous for a, a human to venture into. So as far as mitigating risk as well as collecting vast amount of data, uh, that's really how Dwyer are really positioning these uh, robots. And we actually had the chance to chat to the Dwyer Mining Services CEO, Jamie Van Skoer. Uh, he kind of spoke to us about the process of bringing these into the country, um, some of the hurdles that he's encountered thus far. Uh, along with uh, the spot launcher, they also are launching a kind of another venture called DTEC Solutions, which is kind of trying to pioneer um, Mintech in South Africa, that, that's uh, mining technology, uh, very much like how Agritech has kind of exploded over the past couple of years in South Africa. They're trying to do the same thing, and they're really hoping that the spot robots are the, kind of the jumping off point from there. And you also kind of spoke a bit about how spot robots could potentially inspire other young uh, people that are interested in technology and interested in mining to kind of get into the field again, because I guess there has been a little dearth as far as talent goes and kind of interest. And hopefully, well, he's at least hoping that uh, Spot can help spark that. So, uh, we, as you mentioned, Robin, you did an interview with uh, Jamie from Square. Um, let's jump to that quickly and then we'll dive into some questions. Hi, this is Robin Uchelli reporting for Hypertext, and joining me today is Jamie Van Skoer. He is the CEO of Dwyer Mining Services, and we're here today at the launch of the Boston Dynamics Spot Enterprise Robot. So, Jamie, first of all, thanks for taking time to chat to us, and we do appreciate it. Um, this is obviously a process that took quite a bit of time to kind of come to fruition. How did that kind of process come about, and like how, how has it been kind of getting to the stage at the moment? It's a good, I'm very happy to share. We're very excited as well to talk about uh, Spot Enterprise today. It's been a journey. We are a mining technology platform uh, that represents clients all over Africa. And uh, Boston Dynamics relationship happened quite quickly when we realized we couldn't fly the drones that we actively represent in our underground mining space because of the tight limitations in our, with our clients. So Spot, because it's not aerial and because it uh, hugs the ground, is one of those uh, robotic vehicles that was going to be able to unlock value from having the payloads that we represent uh, already in, in our technology stack. So having that opportunity, 
we engaged with Boston. We told them that they need to come to see what Africa's problems are. And I think demonstrate the track reference that we've had uh, as a business. They were eager to see what we could do. And we've quickly demonstrated uh, our capability and already um, started moving product. And uh, so lots of excitement and lots of uh, energy around uh, the next steps with proof of concepts already in place. Great stuff. So obviously the launch is happening essentially this month. Uh, but this is a really expensive piece of kit, uh, a really complicated piece of kit to bring to the country. Um, we've seen a lot of other manufacturers kind of struggle as far as chip shortages, supply chain issues are concerned. Uh, and link enemy kind of hurdles for, for your company as far as that goes, uh, trying to bring in these uh, devices in the country. So I think uh, in, the, in the actual launch of the program, you would have heard that I had uh, issues getting batteries into country. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a Boston Dynamics specific thing. We Freight is constrained, container availability is short. Um, but uh, I think it rests on two key things. One is you have to have the partner's trust. Uh, Boston has invested in the concept in Africa. So we just received a bundle of batteries, uh, more than enough for our years worth of supply of our full cost of supply. So we have enough batteries, which is definitely the mostly inhibitor of because uh, you can't air freight them. So we have enough batteries to satisfy the demand here. Um, fortunately, you can air freight the, pay- the payload, and we haven't seen those kind of delays yet there. Haven't received any kind of forecast knowledge around any issues on their chipset shortages. I know that they're um, struggling to keep with demand, but I don't think it's a supply issue. Um, during your presentation, you kind of talked about Dwyka being a pioneer as far as the local mintech scene goes. Um, I'm assuming a big part of that is going to be deep tech solutions. Can you just just unpack uh, kind of what that company's focus is going to be moving forward? Yeah, today it's exciting to launch Spot Enterprise for markets through Dwyka Mining Services. Again, Dwyka Mining Services is a mining uh, focused platform. Mm-hmm. Deep tech solutions was born out of many of our clients or aligned partners saying, we like what you're doing in mining. It seems like a really tough place to do it. If you can do it there, can you do it where we need you to? And many of those clients are marine, onshore, offshore, oil and gas, forestry, heavy industry. And um, yeah, we, we decided we wanted to start focusing on that uh, and growing slowly in that space like we've done in Dwight. We've grown, grown measurably. And uh, we believe that they have the same, very many of the same problems. Again, mostly around visualizing their problems so they know what they're dealing with, have eyes on the prize, and can action change. Perfect. And um, I guess, as far as robots are concerned, they can prove quite divisive. Um, obviously, being a tech space, people are really intrigued by it, but uh, when you're working in mines, there could be some detractors. So as far as trying to win those people over, what would you say to them as far as the capabilities and possibilities that Spot enables? For me, Spot is going to unlock value that you haven't even thought of. It's also going to, uh, and you talk about disruption, it's kind of buzzing. I don't like the term disruption because people have been innovating for forever. It's just relative. I think what robotics is going to do in mining is going to, it's going to unlock visual value uh, for times where we can't get underground, we can't get to places that unlocking the inaccessible or visualizing the accessible is going to uh, not only make things safer, um, more efficient, that visibility is going to drive a whole new realm of uh, improvements. And um, I think the improvements are also going to be driven by large-scale role redefinitions. Um, you're going to start seeing people get interested in mining again from the youth. Uh, you can see the excitement that Spot brings to us as adults. I mean, there wasn't a single person not smiling in that audience today. And um, I, I can think that this is going to be one of those tools that's going to make a safer place for to bring the youth into mining. At the same time, create a platform for them to express what they'd like to get out of the industry. Sure. Um, 
So I guess obviously this is the launch. Uh, and Jack is, is going to, as you say, handhold. Um, but as far as customization goes, uh, I'm assuming it's a case by case basis. Clients will come to you and say, "This is what we need. This is what," and you will kind of go back to them and say, "This is what Spot can do," or "This is what we need to add to the, to the platform or to, to bring that to fruition." So, as far as customization goes, is is that obviously a big selling point uh, for the robot? Absolutely. So we're very excited about the partner payloads that we have. One of them that we quite uh, in a mature relationship with is, is from Emerson, the Hovermap uh, payload. That's a 3D slam-based slammer, uh, scanner at least, for creating point clouds. Um, so that's essentially, you're saying what value we derive. It's really going to be linked to the, uh, the payloads that are going to be attached to, to, to Spot. We're also very quick to to, um, to sell to the limitations of technology because it leaves people with poorly managed expectations and disappointment. And uh, I think in this kind of space, we push the tech to the limit. But we're also very quick to guide our clients and to advise our clients what's possible. Um, and uh, again, by pushing the limit, we, we get to what's probably possible. But um, I think it's exciting to also see that there's a lot of um, energy and investment on the payload side. So from Boston himself with the camera payloads, from FLU, from stuff we're doing with Maestro Digital Mind, gas detection. Um, there's a whole range with Fluke with the SV600 so customized for Spot and I expect as a trend there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of payloads jumping on the bandwagon or jumping on Spot cool. great stuff uh, lastly I just wanted to ask uh, obviously this is an African launch of Spot Enterprise um, as far as other areas that Dwyker operates on the African continent are there plans to kind of roll out there, roll out there as well there's an exciting plan to do a road trip from Joburg to Gabara and to Tanzania it's a Q, uh, Q1 in 2022 um, there may be also a mountain that we're going to look at climbing the spot, but uh, nothing finalized just yet. Cool. Well, it sounds exciting. Best of luck with that. And yeah, again, thanks for taking the time to chat us. We do appreciate it. Robin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Look forward to engaging with you guys more from Hypertext. Cool. Thank you very much. This is a really interesting uh, interview, Robin. I do just want to ask very quickly, um, are, do you have to be a mining company in order to purchase one of these, these spot robots for use? At this stage, yes, and slightly no. So obviously, because Dwyker specialized within the mining field, um, that's really who they are aiming this product at. That said, uh, the spot robot can be set up for a number of different uh, applications. Mm -hmm. I spoke a little bit about the the 360-degree camera and the other kind of sensors that can be retrofitted onto the robot itself. So it can be used for mapping not only in in mines, but mapping in other areas as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deep Tech Solutions, which is the other kind of arm of Dwyker, they are doing things like mapping forests and trees and stuff using stuff like the the spot robots. uh, They also specialize in using drones. So as far as applications go, uh, there are myriad applications. Um, it's just that, obviously, that the specific event was aimed at the mining sector. But I think if your needs or interests uh, fall outside that, I'm, I'm sure Dwyko are willing to, to have a chat with uh, people. Yeah, I, I seem to recall that, um, what's their name, Boston Dynamics said that you weren't allowed to use their robots for military purposes or for policing. Is that correct, Phil? Yeah, so I, I, I'm not too sure if you guys remember, but a, f- a few months ago, uh, the NYPD infamously yeah. had a, a, a spot robot walking around uh, the city, and that that proved very divisive, just as far as uh, kind of atmosphere at the time, conversations around uh, how police 
uh, treat uh, non-white people in in the, in the United States. Yeah. So yeah, as, as far as that application goes, um, I don't foresee Dwyer uh, using it for any kind of military or armed yeah. services or protection services at the moment. Uh, that said, that could change. I mean, we have we did also see recently there was a uh, I guess military focused conference in the US, and there were they did have some kind of uh, autonomous robot that had a high caliber weapon strapped to the back of it. So it really depends on how you can get your hands on it. I'm, I'm assuming if you're going through someone like Dwyer, they are purely looking for uh, actual tangible real world applications that actually benefit society as opposed to just policing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure if you buy one, you need to find some kind of contract saying, yeah. you know, you're not going to strap a gun to it or something like that. I just yeah, I, I'm curious to see how this uh, this technology is implemented in South Africa. As you rightly mentioned, Robin, uh, it's like the loss of jobs and something is something that we should be cognizant of. Um, but that having been said, a solution like this where you can get into places where it's possibly not safe for miners to go, or you want to map out new digging routes, I, th- I think that sort of use case is really really interesting. Um, and also, these things are so damn cute. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this about a robot, but also when our robot robot overlords rise, I want them to know that I was always on their side. They made it look like a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Robin, I just want to ask you two things um, quick. When they did those little like dances and uh, demonstrations for you, uh, how were they controlling the robot? Because I know that Boston Dynamics robots, you can control it with what is essentially like an Xbox controller, or you can set it up to work through a computer. We can set it up to work through a server. I know um, I covered it a while ago where they said, listen, we're now selling spot for industrial users, uses, um, you know, contact us. And they had a, a big um, show and dance about the different ways you can program it to use. So when you saw it in use, what was it being controlled by? Yeah, so they had two uh, technicians from the University of Johannesburg's uh, spot Explorer program there, and they were controlling uh, both models, uh, the Explorer and the Enterprise one. Uh, it essentially looks like a Nintendo Switch, so it is a tablet that uh, has a viewfinder, and then the controls, uh, the joystick-esque controls, attached on either side of the tablet. So you have the viewfinder, and then you obviously control it with with the joysticks. And those are like little dance routines. They weren't manual. They were pre-programmed beforehand, like doing animation, right? And then they just ran it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, so they didn't map out the entire dance sequence, but they said uh, perform this action, and they'll, they'll do that for a few minutes and then change it up. So it, it, is, it is pre-programmed routines, but not necessarily entire sequence. Like we have seen uh, Boston Dynamics do with some of their promotional stuff around the, the robot. Yeah. And the last thing I just want to add, I, I don't know if I missed it in the interview or um, I'm asking for the first time, but did these have to go through ICASA at all? Uh, so there were a few hurdles that uh, Dwyer had to go through. Mr. Uh, Squad um, didn't go through all the hurdles he had to jump through, so there wasn't any mention as far as ICASA goes. Uh, but I'm assuming that uh, the regulators will be keeping a, a firm eye in terms of how many of these are coming into the country. He has noted Noted that batteries in particular have been hard to come by. Um, the issues, obviously, with supply chains globally, so that's been one hurdle he's been struggling with. But yeah, uh, as, as far as the cost's involvement, I'm not too sure. 
Yeah, I can imagine just the laws that like show me in the in the law where it says I need a, a certificate for a robot. And they'll be like, oh, well, there really isn't. Um, <laughs> that's what I was asking. And also, just we're talking about um, phones coming in from overseas. Sometimes like Ecosa just sticks a horrible, ugly sticker on the back of brand new, beautiful phones. And I'm just thinking about a spot that just has like a one meter by one meter Ecosa sticker across <laughs> its face. It would look, uh, can you imagine you spend like, hundreds of thousands of rand or a million rand on this robot and shows up with a one of those horrible paper-based stickers that takes 10 years to peel off well i mean it wouldn't surprise me if regulators start uh, getting more involved uh, the more spots start entering the country we saw that with with drones in the in the very early days it was very much like a wild west and then the regulators came in and clamped down on everything so it wouldn't surprise me if the same thing happens here yeah very interesting stuff um, and it pains me to now shift the conversation to something that is not interesting, but I think elements of disgusting and harrowing all at the same time. Uh, of course, we're talking about Activision Blizzard, which was in the news again this week following the publication of a report by the Wall Street Journal that um, made a series of allegations against Bobby Kotick, um, who is the chief executive officer of Activision Blizzard. Um, if you haven't heard the name before, uh, I envy you because uh, I I am personally not a fan of Kotick, so I am going to try and be as neutral as possible uh, in conveying the elements of the story. Uh, but essentially, the Wall Street Journal um, reported that not only did Bobby Kotick know about uh, allegations of sexual harassment and worse at Activision Blizzard, in fact, he went so far as to outright hide um, these allegations from the board of directors. Um, there's an incident involving a rape allegation at Sledgehammer Games. Um, there's another uh, incident of sexual harassment at Treyarch. In Treyarch, sorry, the the folks that are responsible for Call of Duty, um, in which the studio's colleague was accused of sexual harassment, and rather than getting rid of the employee, uh, Kotex stepped in to uh, limit the disciplinary me measures. Uh, meted out against Dan Bunting. Um, but I think perhaps worst of all was the revelation that uh, Kotek actually threatened a female employee, uh, threatened to kill her. Um, that case was settled oh, out of uh, court. He didn't. Uh, he threatened to have her killed. Oh, sorry. Um, I don't want us to get sued yeah, no, for no, libel. Fair enough. Um, yeah, he, he said he could have her killed. I'm um, paraphrasing. He didn't say he would do it himself. And I believe there's a, a legal difference that could get us into trouble. So I just want to mention um, that. But yeah, they settled that matter out of court. Uh, and yeah, so this has been met with uh, absolute disgust, of course. Um, we've had the Activision Blizzard Workers Alliance um, calling for Kotick's head, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course, um, <clears throat> saying that they want him to go. Uh, later this week, we had shareholders from SOC Investments uh, calling for the removal of Kotick. Um, and they actually went so far as to say that if uh, Kotick isn't removed, as well as two other uh, heavyweights uh, within Blizzard, um, that they would uh, they would not support re-election of incumbent directors and would urge fellow shareholders to do the same. 
Um, they said the time for timidity and silence, if there ever one was one, has clearly passed, and it is time for Activision Blizzard Board of Directors to step forward or step aside. Um, on that note, uh, Activision's Board of Directors has remained rather quiet uh, in the in the face of this. They have issued two statements uh, as of time of recording. Uh, one was in response to the Wall Street Journal's um, uh, article. Uh, and they just said that they have issues with with the article and that it doesn't convey what is really happening. Uh, obviously, this is all just to try and save face. But I think the more interesting thing to look at uh, is Activision Blizzard's share price because that has been plummeting downwards since Tuesday. Uh, it's starting to get a bit more recovery today, um, but it is still down 2.3% from close the close of trading yesterday. So... Uh, it, it's not looking good for Activision Blizzard and, sorry, not specifically, specifically for Bobby Kotick. Uh, it's worth remembering that Bobby Kotick has been the uh, at the helm of Blizzard for 30 years, right? He started in 1991. He's been the chief executive for 30 years. Now, I'm not saying that Blizzard hasn't made some fantastic games in that time. Activision Blizzard hasn't made some fantastic games in that time. They have. 30 years to be the head of a company, it's too long. Um, so yeah, uh, Kotex, Kotex is being called to resign. Uh, he doesn't seem to to want to do that, uh, mainly because he earns a pretty penny working for Activision oh. Blizzard. Um, and I do want to just uh, highlight something. So there are termination, agree termination agreements in place uh, if Bobby Kotick is to leave Activision Blizzard. Because, as I mentioned, he's been there for 30 years and you don't get to stay in a company that long without making sure that when you do eventually leave, you walk away with a lot of money. So if Kotick he's leaves, with, if he's terminated without cause, uh, he gets over 265 million US dollars, right? 265 million US dollars. One if quarter of a billion. Yeah. If he's terminated without cause. However, on the other side of things, if he's terminated with cause, which this current matter could be seen as, uh, he only walks away with 264000 US dollars. I say only. That's only a lot yeah. of money. For... Uh, imagine if every job you got, the amount of money you receive when you get fired, 99% of people don't get any money when they get fired. Yeah. There's more money than 99% of the world will earn in their lifetimes. It's absolutely insane. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation, but man, that makes me angry. Uh, Brendan, you wrote that story, and I was look, I was reading it before we recorded this. And yeah. the, the part about the golden parachute for firing without consequence, um, I was like, geez, a quarter of a billion. But then seeing even if even if he came into the office and burnt it down, and they're like, Bobby, we're firing you because you burnt down the office. He's like, okay, where's my two hundred grand? <laughs> Sorry, I just had to go on that little tangent yeah. there. I think that so. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of issues at Activision Blizzard. However, since the report in July, in which uh, the the culture was compared to a a frat house or frat boy culture at Activision Blizzard, there have been some meaningful changes. Uh, there have, for instance, uh, Bl Activision Blizzard promised to be more transparent with pay. Uh, they promised that they would ha uh, hire more LGBTQIA plus. I'm sorry if I messed that up. I'm going off at the top of my head here. No, um, that, that's right. 
but more a, a more diverse workforce, including people of color and women. Um, so there were meaningful changes or, or meaningful steps that have been taken by Activision Blizzard. However, this report from the Wall Street Journal now sets that all the way back. Uh, because it now shows, or at least it allegedly shows rather, that Bobby Kotick knew what was going on behind the scenes, didn't tell the board, and just decided to handle it on his own. And that has consequences. Um, however, the big question is, is the board going to protect their buddy? And my money is on yes, they are. Because okay. this is a massive company, right? They are a massive, massive company. And changing the CEO no matter what they have done, is a massive undertaking. Like, generally, we don't see CEOs change for massive companies. Like, unless Tim Apple does something absolutely abhorrent, the only time he's going to leave CEO is when Apple starts losing money hand over fist or he passes away. Yeah, That sounds really rude, but that's essentially what happened with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was terminated from Apple, because his products weren't making money. He eventually came back, and then he passed away, and then somebody else took over the reins of Apple. So we generally don't see this without a massive shift happening within a company. And I don't think that's, that Bobby Kotick is going to is, is going to suffer any result from this. What do you guys think? Let's start with you, Roman. Yeah. Um, I often say that the, the fish stinks from the head, but I do wonder how deep the rot is and I understand that people want Kotick's head, and I'm all for that. But just how deeply rooted is all of this uh, frat boy behavior? Um, if you simply remove Kotick, I don't think that's enough. You need to actually weed out quite a bit more. Um, how much of the actual workforce at Activision Blizzard that, that, that would include is unclear, but... I think Kotick is just the start of things. Um, he can't be the only person that that exits the company. There needs to be more than that if they are going to make proper change. I mean, we listed off a, a few of the elements that they're looking to to alter, uh, be more transparent, stuff like that. That that to me just sounds like lip service. That just sounds like uh, trying to put a good PR spin on a terrible situation. Um, uh, <laughs> If your foundation of your building is is ruined, you need to start fresh, and I think that's that's ultimately what needs to happen with Activision Blizzard. If if they are serious about, if the board of directors are serious about uh, reaching out all this all these problems, Clinton, your thoughts? Yeah, say two things that represent my thoughts. The first is that uh, Bobby Kotick is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. He's not a millionaire. He's not a multi-millionaire. He's a billionaire. Um, I think uh, the last one. The report I read the other day was like $9 billion. One of the richest people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't get that pay for leaving or whatever, even if he says, listen, I'm going to go live in a forest with all my money or um, better yet, a, a fancy island because I can buy those, um, he'll be a billionaire and he'll be fine for the rest of his life. Even if he gets, gets fired, he's going to be hunky-dory. So that's the first thing I want to keep in mind. The second thing I want to keep in mind is a report that also came out that we didn't talk about that... Um, is really, it's a perfect picture of him. It's a perfect painting of Mr. Bobby Kotick. So a while ago when all of this was going down, right, 
there was a, a, a senior at Activision Blizzard named Fran Townsend. And I don't want to give into the whole conversation about her. They call her a torture advocate. And I'll put a link about why that is. She put out an email um, to the companies uh, addressing these things. And it was a, a horrible, horrible, horrible email. Basically trying to brush this off and saying it's all BS in the very like PR speak. And after this came out, Bobby Kotick said that the letter was tone deaf. Do you know what's come out now? Bobby wrote that letter oh and made goodness. her send it from her account. Oh my goodness. Why am I not surprised though? Why am I not surprised? I can't believe if if he didn't say it was tone deaf in I don't know if it was in an interview or something. If this just came out and then it also came out that he wrote it, I would have said, okay, that, that probably happens all the time in these big companies. But the fact that he put this out and then called it tone deaf is on the one hand awful, but on the other hand hilarious. Because this Fran Townsend, I have no sympathy for her. She's also a millionaire who is an advocate for torture. I just want to mention that again. She used to work for the, the uh, American government. Um, these are two terrible people who deserve each other, but the whole situation is, you know, you have to laugh so you don't cry. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'll put a link to that because I don't think we covered that on the site. And it's just, it's insane. So those that's what I think of Mr. Bobby. Um, I, I think he has to go, obviously. But like Robin said, uh, you know, how far does the rot go? And I'm just worried that I I don't think this, this Activision Blizzard can be saved with a few fires and hires. Uh, and also, who's going to... Who's going to come in and replace these people? Who wants to go to Activision Blizzard after well, all of I this? I mean, they, they had somebody leave recently, um, Jen O'Neill, who was yeah. recently made president of Blizzard. Um, she left because she just doesn't feel, or she didn't say why she left, um, but it's clear that she doesn't feel like there's anything there for her. Um, we've also seen the likes of Xbox and PlayStation heads um, Phil Spencer from Xbox, obviously, and Jim Ryan from PlayStation uh, speak out against what has happened. Uh, Jim Ryan said in an email to employees that they were he was disheartened and frankly stunned to read. Uh, we outreached to Activision immediately after the article was published to express our deep concern and ask how they plan to address the claims made in, made in the article. We did not believe their statements of response properly addressed the situation, said Ryan. Um, uh, and then Spencer said this type of behavior has no place in our industry. Spencer went a step further, however, saying that uh, they were going to they were going to see whether they would take action. Um, that to me is lip service. Yeah. If Sony and Microsoft came out tomorrow and said because of this we won't allow Activision Blizzard games to be sold on our consoles, then I'll be like, well done, you're actually doing something proactive. This is just lip service, you know. It, it's let's jump on the bandwagon of everyone's attacking this company and this mm. man, and rightfully so. And now we can just attack them too, and we'll get a good PR spin, and everyone will think we're great guys. But then they're not doing anything. So we're thinking about doing this. Our condolences, yada yada. It's all BS. Until they come out and do something actionable, I, I couldn't care about what these people have to say. So I tend to agree with you, but I think this this argument does. There are two sides to this argument because while Kotec and the board of directors have, there are clearly issues within those com within the company, right? The folks that work hard to make the games that these these companies or this company publishes um, and develops, like I feel that 
boycotting the games hurts those employees at the end of the day because yeah. Bobby Kotick, like you mentioned, he's a billionaire. He's not going to stop making money. And if you don't buy the next World of Warcraft expansion or Call of Duty Vanguard, which is by all accounts really bad, um, but if you don't buy those games because you don't like them, you hurt those developers because when the sh when the uh, reporting comes around next year and they say, oh, well, you know, we only sold $8 billion worth of Call of Duty, um, then the studio gets fired or the studio gets downsized. And it's unfortunate that the folks who work hard and aren't responsible for these actions are the ones who are punished. Um, so I think it's it's a personal thing. If you don't want to support the games because the rot is coming from the head, that's your prerogative. But I do think just think about who is impacted by this at the end of the day. Obviously, Kotick is still going to make money. The board of directors are still going to make money. The shareholders are still going to take make money. I do just want to point out something that uh, the SOC investment, the, the shareholders who – don't really hold too much of uh, a too large a percentage of shares in Activision Blizzard. But they did say this, and I think that this is an important note. We find it implausible that sexist, discriminatory, and unlawful practices as widespread as those alleged in the California DFHE lawsuits could have occurred without the board's knowledge if the board had appropriate oversight practices in place. For this reason, we ask for an immediate independent investigation of the board's oversight policies and practices. So for me, this is important because... What the board is essentially saying is that it wasn't informed about these things um, or it didn't know. So e both of those are equally bad because either you're too idiotic to have oversight within your own company where you are a director and you sit on the board of directors or you just don't care. And both of those are bad. And I'm yeah. sorry, but if you're on a board of directors and you don't know what's going on within your own company, that's not good enough. And I know we can say, oh, Activision Blizzard is a big company. How can you expect them to uh, to oversee everything? They earn massive paychecks, all right? Hire more people. <laughs> exactly. I don't earn a lot of money, but I manage to get my work done. And if, some, if, if something goes wrong and I don't do something that I'm asked to do, my head is on the line, right? I don't get to pass it off to Robin or Clinton or to, to upper management. It's my responsibility, and the fact that this is the the tack that uh, the board of directors of Activision Blizzard has seemingly taken, like, oh, no, the Wall Street Journal is the problem here. No, it is not. The Wall Street Journal has published allegations, and the best you've got is, no, it's not It's not accurate. Uh-uh. It's not you, us. You know what's hilarious is that a lot, in, a lot of times in situations like this, they'll come out and be like, say, oh, this is spurious. We're going to sue you for libel. But it, and now they're saying... Oh, it's a bit inaccurate, but they, they're not outright saying it's false because I, I'm pretty sure their lawyers have told them not to say it's false because mm. if it comes out and it's true, they'll be in trouble. So I always have a laugh when these things come out and they say, oh, we're disappointed in the reporting. We we didn't agree with it, but they're never coming out and they're saying, liars, liars, we're going to sue you because they can't. It's, it's like a tiny admission of guilt. And mm. I don't want to say I'm saying it's kind of like everything I talk about is comedy and you can't see <laughs> I'm saying it with a thick layer of irony. Um, yeah, it's it's a whole terrible situation. And another thing, it's funny we're talking about, oh, just hire more people. Over the years, Activision Blizzard has become famous for having record sales in their games, 
giving Mr. Kotick a huge multi-million dollar raise and then firing people because they say we don't have enough money to pay you. They are absolutely infamous for that. I think that's what people knew them most for when it comes to like uh, business practices mm. is massive layoffs with the people at the top getting new islands or yachts or whatever. So, yeah, such such BS. And, uh, yeah, just a bad situation for the people on the ground, that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, so the good news is that there's a lot of conversation happening around this. Um, it doesn't look like Kotek is going to come through this unscathed. As I mentioned, I don't think that they are going to remove him, and I don't think that he's going to resign. And even if he does, he makes off with a minimum of 200000 US dollars, as well as all the wealth that he's amassed over the years. Um, there are a number of... Uh, uh, what what they're called, <sighs> Matt, petitions uh, circling oh, yeah. around, um, calling for Kotex removal. If you want to sign one of them, uh, just go to change.org and look for one. Uh, I believe the Activision Blizzard Workers Alliance does have uh, their own change.org. Um, we've linked to a couple of their tweets in the story, so just click on the stories below, uh, below this podcast or above this podcast and you'll be able to find them. Um, and support them if you want to. I think that might be the best way to support these workers because they have down tools and they are protesting outside um, Irvine offices or the Activision Blizzard offices in Irvine, uh, California, as well as a couple of other offices around the U.S. So, yeah, it just sucks, man. I mean, like, I used to be such a bit... I mean, Activision Blizzard games were the first games that I played as a kid. Uh, Starcraft, World of Warcraft, yeah, World of Warcraft... Well, not World of Warcraft, just Warcraft, it was called back in the day. Um, those were games that I played and helped helped me get into gaming back in the day. And now to see what has become, uh, it's really worrying. But uh, something else I just want to mention before we wrap up. Um, I was chatting to a friend about this, and they mentioned to me, what about all the guys who have left Activision Blizzard, like Mike Morheim, um, Ben Brode, all those guys, did they know that this was going on? Was that why they left? Um, I mean, yeah, there's lots of question marks now coming out about everybody that has touched that firm. And I think that's bad because not everybody did bad things at Blizzard or Activision Blizzard rather. So, yeah, do you guys do you guys have any closing thoughts? Let's start with you, Robin. Yeah, I think we all want this to be a reckoning. Uh, but the sad fact is, is that it won't. Um, if, it, if things were to change, we would have think, seen things change already uh, when Ubisoft came out with similar allegations. It, it, it wasn't as widespread spread or as, as predatory as what we've seen come out with Activision Blizzard, but things would have changed there, and it changed a few policies, a few heads rolled, but... Was that enough? Uh, and I think the same thing's going to happen here. Even if uh, Kotick leaves, that's not, it's not going to change anything, really. Mm. It just means that uh, all our, ang- our frustration and anger that was aimed at one person uh, is gone. Uh, the, the issues still remain. So I would love for this to, to kind of spark a change in the industry, but it will not because... Uh, these companies make too much money. Yeah. Simple as. Clinton? So, like you, Brennan, I mean, uh, this company, all these companies, they used to be too. Um, it has a massive place in my heart. Diablo 2 was the first game I ever played. 
when I was like six. And I know you shouldn't be playing Diablo 2 when you're six, but uh, don't tell my parents that. But yeah, I mean, it has a massive place in my heart. So, it, it, you know, it hurts to see this, but that is nothing compared to the suffering that the people on the ground are going yeah. through. So my feelings don't matter. And I hope things change. And I, I understand your sentiment that the people on the ground will suffer if their games don't sell well. But I honestly think the only form of protest that the general populace has is just not to buy these games. They, yeah. these, the, the only reason the board is doing anything now is because the share price is going down. I remember when this first do- um, kicked off, they put out a statement to the... Um, I can't remember the exact phrase, but they were saying that they are happy with how Kotick was running the business. So they don't give a shit. <laughs> they just don't care unless there's something happens to their money. And the only way to affect their money is not to buy the game. So I'll have to differ with you there on my opinion on what the average person can do, but that's the only thing we can do in my opinion. So if you don't like this happening, it, it's the only power we have. Now, well, aside from like, uh, I don't want to talk about things like going into the streets and writing, yeah, but that's the else. only, that's the only, power that the consumer has that doesn't involve direct violence and confrontation yeah i i think both of you have very good points um if we want change we need to as a gaming community stand up and say we want change um and if you're a developer working for activision blizzard i'm sure you don't listen to this this podcast but hopefully we reach somebody um just know that we support whatever actions you guys are taking within the realms of the law, of course. Um, but yeah, this this has gone too far now. This has been going on since July. And I mean, we've made very small steps. And it's now come to light that Kotec knew what was happening, or at least allegedly knew what was happening. And um, yeah, I, ju- I just want this all to be over. And I'm sure that the folks who have suffered at the hands of these absolutely appalling human beings would like this to all be over as well so yeah activision blizzard employees we're sorry for what's happening to you to activision blizzard's board of directors pull finger and do something come on i promise you you'll still make money you will still make you will still print money every year when you release call of duty and i guarantee you that it'll be a better workplace if you get rid of where the rot is stemming from you know what i'd like to see i'd like to see some other publishers uh, probably not ubisoft say that uh Hey guys, we have these positions open. Come join us. Yeah, yeah, I'd really like to see that. I, I see that sometimes when the studio closes for um, for monetary reasons, usually the studio goes bankrupt. And sometimes big publishers will say, hey guys, we have these openings. You know, here's a special email, not even like public email. Um, you know, get in contact and we'll we'll try to get you a job. I really want to see some other companies doing that. And uh, I know Devolver Digital doesn't make their own games like some of these other publishers do. They actually just publish, um, but they just became a public company. And I'd like to see them say, hey, guys, we have some openings. Do you want to come work with us? Yeah, and I think that's going to wrap it up from us for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Um, Hopefully things are a little bit better next week. Uh, Load shedding has been suspended. Yeah, I mean, it's all from 9 o'clock tonight. There will still be load shedding throughout the day, but at 9 o'clock it is suspended. Doesn't seem to be load shedding for the remainder of the weekend, according to ESCOM. So that's some good news. Um, but yeah, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, from myself, Brendan Lotz, Cheerio, from Clizzamatos. Hi, everybody. And from Robin Lichetti. 
Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.